The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 75 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour true crime episodes of This Is Your FBI, starring Stacey Harris. We'll begin after this short break. J. Edgar Hoover, the powerful first director of the FBI, insisted any portrayal of the Bureau on radio should be positive, emphasizing its successes in the war on crime and the effectiveness of its modern techniques. Local police departments had already cooperated with producers of true crime programs by providing files of old cases that could be dramatized. The FBI files were bursting with robberies, murders, and assorted acts of skullduggery. For This Is Your FBI, Hoover gave producer-director Jerry Devine access to its closed FBI files, and fans of the series had a weekly treat in store. Told from the agent's point of view, stories had our men in blue tracking down embezzlers, murderers, kidnappers, burglars, and enemies of the state. Over a period of eight years, screen star Frank Lovejoy, followed by Dean Carlton and William Woodson, narrated exciting realistic dramatizations of racket-busting and crime detection. Special Agent Jim Taylor, played by Stacey Harris, took the lead role. His character was fictional, but the cases were real, with the names of criminals, as well as locations, changed to protect the identity of innocent people involved. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States sponsored This Is Your FBI for the entire run, 1945 through 1953. The program covered much of the same ground as Gangbusters, which was created in 1935 by Phillips H. Lord. Time now for the first of two true crime episodes of This Is Your FBI. In this first one, Special Agent Jim Taylor tries to break up a larceny racket. Here's the big guy, starring Stacey Harris on This Is Your FBI from May 14, 1948. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This Is Your FBI. This Is Your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. Before we hear tonight's file, I have a special request for our boy and girl listeners. If your dad or mother is not near the radio now, please tell them that in just 14 minutes, 
the Equitable Life Assurance Society has an important announcement about home mortgages. Yes, the Equitable Society is going to give full details on their assured home ownership plan. It's a money saver, a worry saver, a home saver. So, will you do that, boys and girls? Tell Dad and Mother to listen 14 minutes from now for the important information on the Equitable Society's assured home ownership plan. Tonight's FBI file, The Big Guy. History has a way of repeating itself, of forming a pattern which recurs at almost regular intervals. For that reason, anyone studying the field of crime today must go back and study the happenings after World War I. There began a rising tide of crime with the coming of peace in 1918, even as there is a rising crime wave today. Criminals banded together and formed what used to be called gangs. The men were identified by the now almost outworded gangsters. But if the word is outmoded, the methods of operation are not. And today, one of the biggest problems facing every law enforcement agency like your FBI is the potential return of the mobs. The crime wave can be fought, and fought successfully if the formation of new interlocking groups of criminals can be prevented. Once the ranks are formed, Fighting the war against criminals is more difficult because arresting an underling does not impair the effectiveness of the mob, does not destroy the leader, the man on top. Tonight's file opens in a small apartment in the midtown section of a large eastern city. A short, stubby man is removing his shirt as he talks to a newly arrived visitor. Sorry you had to wait for me, Charlie. I had to go down to the drugstore to get this stuff. What is it? It's for mosquito bites. I'm covered with them. Yeah, I can see them. Y you want to rub some of the stuff on my back, Charlie? Sure. Oh, I hope it works. This itch is driving me crazy. How's that feel? Oh, great. Uh, get some on my neck, will you? Okay. How'd the trip go? Well, can't you see the condition I'm in? What a trip. Brother, that's the last time I leave this town. Yeah, here. A little right yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, right there. The first thing is the train. It's old, it's hot, and it's dirty. Hmm. Then to make it worse, I draw an old guy sitting next to me who beefs to the conductor when I light a cigar. Can't smoke all the way up. Oh, fine. Then I get up there, walk three miles to the river. I find a spot behind some weeds in a little clearing. Mm -hmm. For three and a half hours I wait, just sitting there. It was chewed by mosquitoes, bees, and every other bug in the book. Yeah. I guess that does it. <sighs> Thanks. Lou show up? Yeah, finally. What happened? Came down the river in a canoe. When he was maybe 15 feet away, I let go with both barrels. He's dead? Natch. I'll tell George. He'll be glad Mr. Lou Dillon is out of the way. Look, when you see George, tell him any time he wants somebody else knocked off, he should please make it indoors. <laughs> Next morning at the local FBI field office, Special Agent Jim Taylor is standing in front of the teletype machines reading an incoming message 
when Agent Don Conway approaches. Jim. Hmm? Oh, hello, Don. Oh. I knew you'd come up. There's a girl named Ann Whitman waiting for you at your desk. You talked to her? No, she said she wanted to see you. I called her the other day about Lou Dillon. He's the fellow who violated his federal parole. Oh. She's his girl. Did she know where Dillon was? No, not specifically. She said that he'd gone hunting someplace upstate. How long ago? Last week. She said she'd get in touch with us if she heard from him. Maybe she has some information now. Hmm, could be. Come on. Uh, Dillon's the man who was sent away for being a lookout on a bank robbery, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. It was his first conviction, and from what he said, his first crime. Yeah. You made the arrest, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. I thought at the time that Dillon was a nice young fellow who had gone wrong because of circumstances. I remember your report. He had a good record in prison. Still and all, after his good record, he's run away. Oh, Don, you'd better stick around while I talk to Miss Whitman, huh? Okay. Miss Whitman, sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Taylor. That's Mr. Conway. We met unofficially a few minutes ago. Oh, yes, hello. Have you heard from Lou Dillon, Miss Whitman? No, sir. But I had a call about an hour ago from the chief of police of a town upstate named Centerville. What did he want? Well, he... He said that one of his men found a canoe in an upstate park. There was a hole in the bottom of it that looked like a shotgun hole. They identified the canoe as one that Lou had been using on his hunting trip. And was there any trace of Dillon? No, sir. They... They're afraid something's happened. Something serious. How did the police happen to call you? Well, they said Lou was staying at a lodge, and, and when he was reported missing, they went there and looked through his papers. They found my name on a letter. I I thought you told me you didn't know where Dillon went. Well, this wasn't a letter I wrote to him, Mr. Taylor. This was one he was going to send to me. Oh, Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Do you think that that something serious has happened to him, Mr. Taylor? Well, Miss Whitman, that's difficult to judge. Tell me, do you you know of any enemies he had? Anyone who might want to harm him? Well, no. It might be one of the men he was in prison with, Jim. That's possible, Don. Miss Whitman, did the police tell you where the canoe was found? Yes, I think they said Franklin National Park. If they did, then that's our case, Jim. That's right. Don, I think we'd better start an investigation on this right away. Yes? Uh, send him right in. Yes, sir. Oh, and Miss Williams, hold all calls for the next ten minutes. I don't want to be disturbed. Yes, sir. Hi, Mr. Medford. Oh, come in, Charlie. Okay. Well, glad to see you back. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back, Charlie. How was the trip? Very tiring. I covered ten cities in ten days. Hey, did you do any good? Well, some things were accomplished, but they didn't come easy. You know, Charlie... I wish that some of the people who think that criminal activities are a soft touch could work alongside of me for a week. I think that they'd have found out that those of us who deal in larceny have to work twice as hard for our illicit dollars. Hmm. You can say that again. I've been tempted many times myself to turn legit. Yeah. Ready to get back? Yeah, I came in yesterday covered with mosquito bites. Hmm. <laughs> he was really steamed about being sent to the country. Was he successful? Oh, yeah. Everything went fine. I'm almost sorry to hear that. Well, you're the one who wanted Lou Dillon knocked off. Yes, yes, I know. But I was rather fond of that young man. Then why did you want to see him get it? For business reasons. He could have gotten us in trouble. How? Well, when he was released from prison, he decided to go straight. 
That made him too big a risk. He knew too much about us. Oh. Didn't I hear that he planned to get married? Yeah. Next month. Uh, probably be quite a blow to the girl. You know her, Charlie? No. Freddie does. Hmm. Well, have Freddie pay a call on her and, you know, bring her some cash. That might make things a bit easier. Okay. Oh, and uh, tell Freddie that he's got a bonus coming for killing Dylan. A bonus? Yeah. Two weeks in the country. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brother, that's a slow train from Centerville. I know. Did you see the chief of police? Yes, by the time I got there, he had already had part of the river dragged. Find anything? No trace of Dylan's body, if that's what you mean. How about anything else? Well, they found Dylan's rifle, and it hadn't been fired. Well, that removes any question of suicide. We knew before we found the rifle that it wasn't suicide, Don. How? Well, the canoe was found downstream. So? An examination of it showed that the blast which ripped a hole through it had been fired from the outside. It still could have been an accident. Oh, this wasn't any accident, Don. Well, how do you know? Well, we've got evidence. Along the bank of the river, at approximately the same place Dylan's gun was picked up, there were indications that someone may have been lying in wait for him. It was a small area of beaten-down grass where someone had been sitting, and sitting quite a long time, too. There were 17 cigarette butts strewn around. We also found footprints leading to this spot and away from it. I hope they were good enough for impressions. Yes, yes, they were. The lab ought to be able to give us some help on this one. Well, I sent in the cigarette butts and the footprint data on the way up here. Any idea when we'll get a report? Well, we went right to work on it. Jim, does Lou Dillon's girl know about these latest developments? Yes, I notified her. You know, this case started out to be a simple federal parole violation, Don. Yeah. And the way it looks now, it's murder. Just a moment. Hello, Ann. Oh, hello, Fred. Uh, can I come in? Yes, come ahead. I, uh, I hope you don't mind my dropping by like this. Why, no. I had a reason for coming. I just don't know how to say it, I guess. About Lou, you mean? Yeah, I just heard about it. It's real tough, Ann. Lou was a great little guy. Fred, please don't say was. There's still hope that he'll be found. Oh, sure, sure. What I meant was, well, everybody liked the guy. I know. You and him were, I mean, uh, planning to get married. Right? Yes. Well, uh, I got something for you. It's sort of like a wedding present, I guess. Uh, here, you, you take it, Ann. Fred, what is this? You take it. But I... Honey, it's dough. A real nice bundle of dough. What? Here. Look. What? I don't understand. Fred, why should you give I me ain't a... giving it to you. It's from a guy me and Lou both have worked for. Who is he? Well, he don't want his name brought in. Uh, just compliments of a friend. Fred, I can't take this. Huh? I sound ungrateful, I know, and I'm sure the man means well, but I can't possibly accept it. Honey, that's 500 bucks. Just take it back, Fred, and tell the man thanks. Well, okay. And thanks to you, too, for stopping by. Don't mention it. I'll be seeing you, honey. Get back inside. You heard me. No.
return in just a moment to tonight's file which shows how your FBI protects American citizens in American homes. Now a word about another type of home protection. Protection against mortgage foreclosure. A plan which not only safeguards the homeowner during his lifetime, but also continues to protect his widow if he should die. Here is what happens. It's the Equitable Society representative holding an envelope in his hand. He says... Good morning, Mrs. Rogers. I thought I'd bring these over personally. Here's the canceled mortgage on your home, all paid up. And here's a check from the Equitable Society. It covers all the payments your husband made to reduce the principal of the mortgage during his lifetime. Sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? But this is exactly what happens in the Equitable Society's Assured Homeownership Plan, which combines a low-cost first mortgage with special life insurance protection. Under this plan, the widow doesn't inherit a mortgage. She inherits a home that's hers free and clear. What's more, every dollar previously paid under the plan to reduce the mortgage is returned to her. If the plan has been in operation for a number of years, this payment will amount to a very considerable sum of money. In addition, this equitable plan protects the home against another great hazard, hard times. The Equitable Society's Assured Home Ownership Plan accomplishes this through a special cash fund which is built up during the owner's lifetime. This fund is always ready for use if sickness or unemployment threaten home security. As the mortgage shrinks, the cash fund increases. For example, it can be used to pay off a 20-year mortgage in approximately 15 years. Last but not least, the mortgage interest is only 4%, and there's a liberal allowance to cover title search, lawyer's fees and other closing costs. So, all in all, a man is very fortunate if his health, age, income, home, and its location qualify him for an equitable, assured homeownership plan. The way to find out if you qualify is to get in touch with your Equitable Society representative. Look in the phone book or write care of this station to the Equitable Society. That, that's E-Q-U-I-T-A-B-L-E. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Now back to tonight's FBI file, The Big Guy. One of the many shocking things about the tremendous segment of our population confined in the prisons of the nation is that more than 50% of those persons are in prison for at least the second time. Some of them have been returned more than a dozen times. Somewhere there is an answer to why there is more than an even chance that anyone who is sentenced to prison for the first time will ultimately be returned to prison after his release. Possibly part of the answer lies in the fact that the public will not accept an ex-convict into its midst. There are many firms which will not hire a man who has done time. There are some communities which will not allow him to live within their confines. Not every ex-convict wants to lead a perfectly law-abiding life after his release from prison. Some of them are bitter at their treatment by society and want only to inflict revenge. But there are some who honestly want to lead a normal, useful life and to forget the past. It is our duty, the duty of every one of us, to make those men welcome in our ranks and to give them a chance to prove themselves useful members of society. 
Tonight's file continues at the apartment of Ann Whitman. Lou. Oh, Lou, darling, this is so wonderful. I just can't believe it. I, I can't believe you really. I'm here, honey. Lou, everybody <laughs> thought you were dead. Lou, where were you? What happened? It's kind of a long story. Look, I know you two want to be alone. I've now, wait a minute. I want you to hear the story, too. But I have to get back Sit to... down. Listen. Okay. What did you hear about me, Ann? What story did you get? Well, your canoe was found, and there was a shotgun hole in it. The local police reported you missing. Uh-huh. And then the FBI investigated. They found evidence that someone was waiting for you, that it wasn't an accident, that someone had shot and killed you. They were right, Ann. All but the part about being killed. Someone did shoot you? Yeah. Who? You want to answer that, Freddy? Huh? Do you want to tell her who shot me? How would I know? I saw you through the weeds, just before you pulled the trigger. Me? Uh-huh. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, no! I see it! <laughs> would you pick up his gun, honey? Yes, sure. You got anything we can use to tie him up? Well, I don't have any rope. Can I use that extension cord? Oh, sure. I want to be sure we keep him here after he comes to Lou, did Freddy really try to kill you? Yeah. But why? You were friends. He was just taking orders. From who? The big guy. Who's he? The guy I used to work for. But why should he I'm playing it straight, honey. I guess the big guy didn't like that. So he tried to take care of me. How awful. He almost did it, too. What did happen, Lou? Well, I saw Fred just as he was going to shoot, and I ducked away a little. Only got hit in the shoulder. Oh, the canoe went over, and I went underwater and came up some distance downstream. I guess Fred figured he'd really finish me. Well, why didn't you go back to your lodge? I knew they'd come after me again. I went to a cabin downstream. An old trapper lived in it. He took care of me until I felt well enough to leave. <coughs> there, that ought to hold him. You better keep that gun on him anyway, though, just in case. Lou, where are you going? I got a call to make. To the police? No, not yet. I've got to see the big guy first. When I see the police... I want him to be with me. Special Agent Conway speaking. Hello, Don. Oh, Jim. Where are you? I'm up in Centerville. I've got some good news, Don. Yeah. Lou Dillon is still alive. What? How do you know? I just interviewed an old trapper who has a cabin about five miles downstream from where the accident occurred. He said that Dillon stayed with him after he'd been shot. Well, why didn't he notify the police? Well, Dillon asked him not to. He claimed it was just a hunting accident. Where's Dillon now? He left there earlier today. Any idea where he's headed? The trapper believes he said something about going to see his girl. Oh, this was early today? That's right. Well, if that's his destination, he should be at her place by now. Just about. Oh, Don, has anything come in from the lab yet? They just called. They'll have all the information for us in about an hour. Good. Now, look, I'm flying Don. I'll go right to Miss Whitman's from the airport. I'll meet you there. Just a minute. Oh, hello, Mr. Taylor. Come in. Thanks. Mr. Conway just got here. He's with Fred Hall. Fred Hall? Hello, Jim. Oh, hi, Don. This is Fred Hall, Jim. 
And according to Miss Whitman, Hall is the one who shot Dylan. Lou got here just in time to catch him and tie him up. I see. And where is Dylan? Miss Whitman said he went to see someone called the big guy. Hmm? He believes he's the person who ordered Hall to shoot him. Who is the big guy, Hall? I don't know what she's talking about. You don't know anybody called the big guy? Never heard of him. Lou said he wanted to get him and bring him into the police. Well, that was foolish. Don, let's take Hall down to the office. We'll question him there. Hello, Mr. Medford. Lou. Lou Dillon. That's right. I didn't bother to announce myself. Do you mind? Where did you come from? I thought... I know. You thought I was dead. I'm afraid Fred gave you a bum steer. Fred? Well, what do you mean? Oh, look, don't go into any act. I know the whole deal. Lou, I I don't know what you're talking about. Fred Hall tried to kill me, Mr. Medford. And you ordered the job. I know this because I just left Fred. (laughs) But I haven't seen Fred Hall in six months, Lou. Suppose you tell that to the cops, huh? Cops? That's what I came here for, to bring you to headquarters. Uh, Lou, uh, I I honestly don't know what this is all about. Obviously, you're under a strain of some sort. It appears to have stimulated your imagination. (laughs) Now, look, now, why don't you be a good boy and go home and get some rest? I'm not leaving here without you. That's what you think, kid. Thank you, Charlie. time you were arrested, you were picked up with a man named Charlie Blair. Is Blair the big guy? I don't know anybody by that name. Don, I think we've got some ammunition now to use on Mr. Hall. Did you get something in the lab? Yes. Hall, listen to this report. It should interest you. Item one. There were 17 cigarette butts found in one spot on the bank of the river where Dylan was shot. What's that got to do with me? Well, the laboratory says that the person who smoked those cigarettes has type AB blood. They determined this by analyzing the saliva. The blood test you took a little while ago showed your type matches this. What does that prove? AB is a reasonably rare type of blood. Still don't prove I shot Dylan, does it? No, no, it doesn't. Item two. The lab states that footprints found at this ambush were made by a man approximately 5 feet 8 inches tall, weighing about 170 pounds. You get that kind of stuff from a footprint? That's right. Once the laboratory knows how long a stride that person takes and how deep his footprint went... That still don't prove I did it. Granted. Item three. Item three was a sample of ground at the scene of the crime. This was analyzed by the lab. From it, they could tell you were there. How? Recognize these shoes, huh? Yeah, they're mine. Where'd you get them? We got a search warrant. We found them in your apartment. Have they been to the lab yet, Jim? Yes, And the report shows that the sample of earth I brought in matches the mud on these shoes. So what? A lot of guys have shoes with mud on them. Not that mud, Hall. There isn't another place in the country where you'd find dirt of this exact composition. I'd say that report proves that you were by the river. Hall, we've got enough here to have a federal attorney get a conviction. An attempted murder is the same as actual murder. Now, do you want to take this all alone? Do you want to go to jail for life? Do you want to let the man who gave you the orders go free? Start talking.
He's out, Mr. Medford. Real cold. Good. What are we going to do with him? <laughs> That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah. And this time you'd better take care of him yourself. Okay. But not in here. It's too messy. How about the garage? Well, I'd just assume he didn't turn up for a while, Charlie. Suppose I drop him in the river. Fine. Shall I move him now? Yes, take him away. I've got some work to finish. Okay. Use your freight elevator, huh? Yes. It's kind of heavy. Would you open the door? Oh, sure. Put him down, Blair. What? Go ahead, Jim. I've got them both covered. Who are you? We're special agents of the FBI, Medford. We came here for you and Blair. Dylan's unconscious, Jim, but still breathing. That's good, but it still doesn't change the charge. You two are still being arrested for attempted murder. Charles Blair, George Medford, and Fred Hall were tried in a federal court for attempted murder on government reservation. All three men were sentenced to life imprisonment. And thus, a vicious machine of crime and corruption was broken up by your FBI. It is true that two special agents made the actual arrests in tonight's case. But the evidence from which the convictions were obtained came from the laboratory of your FBI. The laboratory which serves as the unsung hero in a great percentage of cases. As recently as 1932, there was one man in the FBI lab, and he had one microscope with which to work. Today, there are more than 300 trained scientists who examine evidence, who last year examined more than 104,000 pieces of evidence. Those reports helped your FBI to prove the guilt of a great many criminals, and thus helped the Federal Bureau of Investigation protect its employer, you, the American people. In just a moment, we will tell you about next week's exciting case from the files of your FBI. Friends, if you were impressed a few minutes ago by what I told you about the Equitable Society's Assured Home Ownership Plan, if the idea appeals to you of a low-interest-rate first mortgage combined with life insurance to protect your home against death and hard times, then I suggest that you get in touch with your Equitable representative soon. He'll show you exactly what this plan will do for you personally, how much money it can save you, how much added security it will give you. So contact your Equitable Society representative without delay or write care of this station to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize another exciting case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The dramatic story of a manhunt through a flaming forest. Its subject, a prison break. Its title, The Curious Prospectors. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious. 
and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. This Is Your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Curious Prospectors on This Is Your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's This Is Your FBI with the Big Guy, starring Stacey Harris from May 14, 1948, as heard over ABC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio shows for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another true crime episode of This Is Your FBI after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, Special Agent Jim Taylor tracks an escaped convict. Here's The Swamp Killer, starring Stacey Harris on This Is Your FBI from November 21st, 1952. This Is Your FBI. This is your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Tonight, the subject of our FBI file, Escape. Its title, The Swamp Killer. The psychology of the criminal is the psychology of the hunted. Inevitably, pursuit follows crime. Inevitably, the lawbreaker's first reaction is to run, to hide, to find safe haven from the systematic, scientific hunting of law enforcement officers. Getaway and hideout are so integral to criminal thinking and jargon that they have become part of the American language. Sometimes, as the cougar seeks his lair, the fugitive retires to a carefully prepared and well-secreted destination. Again, like a panicky stag, he may run without plan or procedure. <laughs> 
or as in the case you are about to hear, he may attempt to elude his pursuers like the swamp fox by disappearing into little-known and difficult terrain. Wherever he runs, however distant or dangerous the trail, it is the job of your FBI to follow him, flush him into the open, and bring him back to justice and to the legal retribution of society. Tonight's FBI file begins deep in the Florida Everglades. Two men pole a shallow canoe through the brackish swamp water between the black arch of the mangrove roots. Between them sits a red-haired girl who listens tensely to the strange sounds of the swamp. Now I know why they say crazy as a loon. Even a bird would have to be nuts to live in a place like this. And what would you call a man who picks it for a honeymoon? I'd call him nice. Oh. Well, I'll admit it's not much of a spot. Chuck, it's perfect. And this is a perfect honeymoon. You know, Tracy, I'm not at all sure I approve of marriage for historians. Oh? All day when I was supposed to be looking at historic landmarks, I kept looking at you instead. <laughs> you just think about your book. That's important. Oh, if anyone reads it. Oh, of course they will. Osceola, chief of the Seminoles. One of the greatest military geniuses of all time. He was, wasn't he? Right. Poor guy, we've named three counties and nearly 20 towns after him, but he hardly rates a line in the history books. In other people's history books, yours is going to be different. I hope so. Coasa? Yeah. Your grandfather served with Osceola, didn't he? He was there, Professor, yes. Did he remember much about it, Coasa? That he was afraid, that he want to run away. But he didn't. When you have come to swamp, there is an end of running. As this place, only death lives. That's how Osceola's village got its name, Chafiofi. Meaning what? In my language, that is last earth of earth. Okay, honey. Uh, thanks. Another night, another 15 mosquito bites. What's that? Sounds like... Come on. Hey. Hello. A soldier. What happened, soldier? A snake. It came off one of them trees. I kept walking as long as I could. Water moxin? Yeah. Yeah, you know what to do? Yeah. Kawasa, bring uh, a razor blade and uh, Tracy, light a fire and get some water boiling. Uh, right. Oh. All right, take it easy. Oh. A razor, Professor. Uh, thanks. Mm. How long ago were you bitten? Uh, oh, 30 minutes, maybe an hour. I don't know for sure. Uh huh. Shut up, Willie. Yeah, I think it'd be all right. Now, this is going to hurt. It'll hurt plenty. I can take it. <sighs> a few minutes later, at an army camp near a southern coastal city, Special Agent Jim Taylor of the FBI enters the office of Major John B. Logan, Corps of Military Police. 
the camp provo marshal. Yeah? Special Agent Taylor, FBI. Oh, sure, Taylor. Your SAC said you'd be down. Good to see you again. Thank you, sir. Well, what have we got, Major? A deserter? Yeah, a prisoner broke out of the stockade this morning, clubbed a guard, took his gun and uniform. Oh, to get off the post? Yep. Commandeered a jeep and ran the gate. Have enough gas to go very far? Report came in that he stopped at a filling station just over the state line, filled the tank and the auxiliary cans, then slugged the attendant and cleaned the cash drawer. Hey, sounds like a tough customer. What was he in the stockade for? Charged with assaulting an officer, being held for general court-martial. Mm -hmm. Got any uh, personal data on him? Yeah. Name is Charles Becker, private. Listed about two months ago. Gave his home address as Dry Flats, Utah. Well, he's a long way from home base. Mm, sure is. Here's his ID card, fingerprints. Thanks. Six two hundred ninety, big guy, huh? Yeah, the type who thinks with his fists. All right, sir. I'll tell the type the Salt Lake Field Office they may pick up something in his hometown. You think you'd head for there? Utah's uh, pretty far off, but it's a possibility. Meanwhile, I'll get on a three-state alarm. Or oh, do you you have the number on that jeep? No, I can get it from the motor pool. Fine. Well, we'll have the highways checked, both north and southbound. Southbound. Where would he go? Oh, into the swamp country, maybe. Mm. Could be a good place for a man to hide at that. Could be, if he lives through it. Here, uh, drink this. Thanks. Helps. Thanks, Professor. Forget it. Coffee, dear? Uh, no, thanks. I didn't know the Army was operating near here. You on maneuvers? Kinda. You might say it's a secret project. Uh-huh. Well, if you've no objections, it's been a long day, and my wife and I would like Professor, to... Professor, nobody's going anyplace. He has a gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That tent. You got any firearms in there? Carbine. You, big chief, that carbine. Get it. Better do as he says, Kawasa. Yes, sir. And no engine tricks. Chuck, he's not a soldier. That's what I tried to tell the MPs. You a deserter? No, I, I just got tired of being shoved around, that's all. Couldn't take it, see? Okay, Chief, hand that gun over. Here. Don't float very good, does it? What do you want with us? Way to get out of this dump. How'd you get in? You got a boat around here someplace, ain't you? Well, I don't think you'd be very good at paddling. You mean all you got's a canoe? That's right. I don't believe it. All that gear in one canoe, it don't add up. When's your boat due, Professor? Big Chief, when's the boat coming? Answer me. There's an airboat coming in the morning. Oh. Well, so I'm stuck with you for the night. Go on to sleep. 
All of you go to sleep. I'll keep the fire going. I'm gonna sit up for a while. I gotta think. Yeah. And no tricks. You know what, Professor? I can stay up three days and three nights without sleeping. I've done it lots of times. So no tricks. Chuck. Yeah. The other gun. Where is it? It's in the airboat. Juan took it for alligators. He's got his back to us. Maybe I could slip away. Set up a signal for Juan. Oh, too risky. Besides, then we'd be stranded too. But we can't just lie here. We can't do anything else, Tracy. What if he decides to... He won't. Not before morning. How can you be sure? Well, it stands to reason, Tracy. He'll need us as decoys for the boat. Besides, he's feverish, exhausted. Sooner or later, he's... All right, you two, no whispering. <laughs> you got something to say, sound off. Well? Okay, let's keep it this way. Nice and quiet. All right, Sergeant, these check. Morning, Major. Oh, hello, Taylor. You told me it's your office. You're down here at the arsenal. Turn up anything on Becker? No, look so far. What about the Jeep? Still unreported. Well, we may have taken it cross-country. Air Force is lending us a couple of helicopters. We can try and pick up a trail that way. Fine. I hope it works. Oh, I've got the uh, teletap report here from the Salt Lake Field Office. Seems friend Becker was quite a character in dry flights. Have a police record? Oh, nothing serious, just drunk and disorderly, simple assault, but he was known as a pretty rough customer. That's the way he shaped up here, too. Got into a fight at a roadhouse, half killed a man, cleared out of town after that. I guess that's when he joined up. Any family or close friends? No, he's a loner. Just drifted into town, drifted out mm. of here. That's it. Well, just a bod, he did a lot of hunting. He's known as a crack shot. And he's armed. Sweet fellow to meet up with on a dark night. Yeah. Sweet like a water moccasin. Get up, Professor. It's morning. Oh, all right. Come on, all of you. Up. Up. What? It's time for breakfast. I'm hungry. On your feet, Chief. Start the fire. And you, redhead, put on some coffee. I've been up all night. I can use it. Fix it yourself. Now, don't give me no trouble. Hey, Professor. That's it, isn't it? That's it. All right, watch it. Buenos dias, senor professor. Buenos dias, Juan. I bring the supply like you say. Well, fine, Juan, that's fine. Hey, you got a new compadre, huh? Yes, that's right. Uh, when he come? Last night. Oh, it's no good to be in the swamp at night. Uh, he a professor, too? No, Juan, he's criminal, maybe murderer. Shut up. You on a boat. Get away from that rifle. 
Dead, Tracy. If you'd have kept quiet, everything had been all right. Okay, on to the boat. Let's get moving. I'm afraid not. I'm getting tired of arguments, Professor. Take a look at the boat. That hull is rubber. Your bullet went clean through it. It collapsed. Like a balloon. Yeah. Just like a balloon. In just a moment, we'll hear the dramatic conclusion of tonight's exciting case from the official files of your FBI. And now back to the FBI file, The Swamp Killer. Whether he knows it or not, there is one law which even the most hardened criminal always obeys. The law of cause and effect. Data in the files of your FBI show that the commission of a single felonious act almost invariably is the cause of new crimes, frequently more serious than the original offense. Thus, the criminal in tonight's case began with a violation of the Articles of War, compounded the felony by becoming a fugitive from prosecution, then in swift succession, piled on assault with a deadly weapon, kidnapping, murder. When captured, this so-called tough guy whined that he'd had to do it, that he'd had no choice. This man and others like him forget that every man has the God-given right to choose between reason and violence, between law and crime, between good and evil. Brick Becker had a choice, all right but he made the wrong one. Tonight's FBI file continues at field headquarters in the Metropolitan Center near the Army Post at which Brick Becker had been stationed. Special Agent Jim Taylor is making a phone call. Provost Marshall's office, Major Logan. Hello, Major. Jim Taylor. I got some news on the Becker case. Sounds pretty promising. Oh? Yeah, a maintenance engineer on one of the Everglades Canal projects reports spotting a jeep half-submerged in the swamp. Whereabouts? Off of a back road at the edge of the Savannah country. The numbers checked? Well, we can't tell. They hoisted out. It's in too deep. You want me to get some Army equipment oh, down there? Oh, no thanks, Major. The Canal Authority already volunteered cooperation. Wow. Oh, I'm taking a helicopter on down. Take a look at it just in case. You'd like to come along? Would it be of any use to you? Well, you might speed up identification. Well, let's see, about, uh, oh, 30 minutes? Okay, I'll meet you at the airport. All right, see you then. All right, so I blew. 
We'll figure out something I ain't through yet. Aren't you? Oh. Oh, I gotta think. I gotta make plans. Okay, so I can't get out of this swamp. What do I do then? You, big jeep. Must be someplace around here I can hide out. Someplace dry, plenty of grub. Old Indian village, maybe. How about it, chief? You know village? I know. Okay, let's get going. Where? That's his business. He's a guide, ain't he? He's our guide, yes. All right, on your feet, engine. What's the matter with him, Fesser? Don't he understand about guns? Of course I understand. And you ain't afraid? It is a man with gun who is afraid. Let's take him where he wants to go, Kawasa. He won't hold up much longer. Don't count on it, Professor. Come on, let's go. Here she comes. That's it. All the way. One of ours, all right. I'll take a close look. Yeah, that's the Jeep Becker stole, no doubt about it. Well, now we know where he was. Why do you think he abandoned it? Oh, maybe he ran out of gas, went off the road, or just got panicky. Where would he be headed from here? I don't know. Well, Mr. Simmons, any place inside he might go? No, nothing very close. Except an old deserted Seminole village. Some professor set up camp there. Oh, anybody checked with him? No. Juan Ortega's airport, the airboat went past on the canal this morning carrying supplies for him. Where's this Ortega now? Search me. I should have been back an hour ago. Uh-huh. You think uh, we might borrow one of your airboats, Mr. Simmons? Yeah, sure. You planning on going in after him? That's right. This is the village, Joran. Okay. Looks deserted. Yeah. Except for that fellow on the bank there. Hmm? Right over there, Major. Mortigo? I guess so. Shot my head. Hmm. Wonder what happened to the boat. Looks like a bullet hole here. That adds up to Becker, all right. Sure does. No sign of the rest of the party. Oh, he must have taken him with him. Not much chance of our picking up a trail in this place. Oh, I'm afraid not. Wait a minute, Major. Huh? Come here, take a look at this. That dead tree? Yeah. Here, take a look on the bark. Mm-hmm. Somebody's been whittling. Or drawing with a sharp-pointed object. I'm afraid they won't help us find Becker. Mike, 
Hmm? They're all in a straight line, see? None of the symbols repeat. Symbols? You think it's sign language? Could be. The old Seminoles had a system like this. They carved messages in the mangrove bark. You think that the professor drew them? Uh, maybe. Or the Indian guide. You remember any of the signs? Mm, few. Major, let's try and figure this thing out. If we can read it, it may be as good as a road map. Dry. Plenty of grub. How do you feel, Tracy? I'm all right, Chuck. Don't worry. Where are the people, Chief? Men no longer live in this place. One does now. Just one. Hey, sounds like a car. It is. This village is part of the Everglades National Park. The tourist road runs just on the outside there. Get down, all of you. Quiet. You're too late, Becker. I think you give me gun now. Keep away from me, Chief. Now I'm gonna... Now you're gonna drop that gun, Becker. Huh? Drop it! I'm a special agent of the FBI. We're certainly glad to see you. I guess you found the symbols. That's right, Professor. Well, there's one you left out, though. A gallows. Baker was turned over to state authorities, was tried and found guilty of the murder of one. He received the death penalty. In the case you have just heard, your FBI's capture of the fugitive was materially speeded by the intelligent and courageous actions of his potential victims. However, their attempt to indicate the destination of the fugitive murderer would have been futile had it not been for the specialized knowledge and acute observation of detail exhibited by an agent of your FBI. The file on Charles Brick Becker is another of the long list of solved crimes resulting from the Bureau's outstanding policy of agent selection and training. Perhaps no greater tribute has been given these courageous and self-effacing law enforcement officers than that recently paid them by the director of the FBI, Mr. J. Edgar Hoover. I quote, FBI agents are gentlemen at all times, conducting themselves in a businesslike, respectful, and efficient manner. Their personal conduct is above reproach. Their character is impervious to the temptations of financial graft, inaccurate reporting, or deliberate omission of facts. They feel proud to be FBI agents, and wherever they may be, they form part of the great tradition of loyalty, integrity, and devotion to duty. Their objective is to obtain facts and facts only. Promotions depend exclusively on merit, not on political favoritism, the friends they know, or the amount of derogatory information they unearth. They are secure in their jobs, not afraid of outside intimidation, threats, or fears. They can, therefore, concentrate on their specific task knowing they will not be undercut by political bickering, personal strife, or arbitrary changes of policy. This has been a Jerry Devine presentation, distributed by the Colas Hoffman Organization. And that's This Is Your FBI with the Swamp Killer, starring Stacey Harris from May 21st, 1952. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 76 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break.
Next time on episode 76 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two comedy episodes of The Adventures of Maisie starring Anne Southern, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening.